0: Join Anthony Esselin, John Wark Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, September 10th, 2018. Already having a hard time keeping up. The heresy overload, man. Do something I don't do a lot, and that's have an unthemed episode. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly, there is no shortage of crazy, absolutely bonkers things being said in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christianity, it, 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 It's being put out as you know, being biblical Christianity, and nothing could be further from the truth. The, uh, God's Word is being twisted. Christ and the plot of Scripture and the actual message of salvation are getting lost in these man-made ravings and lunatic nonsensical statements. It's, yeah, it's just that utter nonsense out there now. And what we're trying to do in this uh, ministerial work to help you is to uh, educate you, equip you, and teach you the basics of sound biblical discernment, exegesis, and a proper distinction between the law and the gospel so that you Will not be deceived, so that you can finally make sense of what the scriptures are teaching. And you know, if you're listening to this program and you're fairly new to it, uh, you you may be upset with me right now, and that's okay. I totally get that. It's that's a normal response uh, when listening to fighting for the faith. And I don't want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. I don't need that. I don't need you to extend any trust to me. Nope. Stay as skeptical as you like. And here's the idea. Just listen with an open Bible. You don't have to listen with an open mind, but you do need to listen with an open Bible. That's the idea. And when you do that, then your opinion might begin to change. And, uh, you know, that, that's the best way I can put it. So, And, by the way, it takes about a good four to six weeks to kind of figure out what is going on in this program. It It, it takes about that long because this program is not like anything you've, <laughs> you've, you've experienced. So, yeah, I think you kind of get the idea. So let's talk about what we're going to do as we uh, launch into the new week today. Um, we're going to begin with a, a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, and uh, we're heading over to uh, Chiswick uh, Christian Church in uh, the United Kingdom. And work the uh, the sermon itself. We're not even gonna li- we're not even gonna really get to listen to that. Uh, we'll but although we might hear Isabel Alum, uh, in our uh, <clears throat> in in our listening to what's going on in this this church, uh, we're gonna listen to Valerie. Yeah, and Valerie is going to be giving the word of the Lord. And uh, I know that, y- you know, if you've been in the church for any length of time, when you hear sa- that somebody's going to give you the word of the Lord, the thing that you think that you're going to be hearing is, you know, uh, the Bible. And she's not. <laughs> We're not going to hear the Bible. Like, no, not at all. And it's I called this the winter tree Word of the Lord, the Winter Tree Word of the Lord. Then uh, we'll do a new Apostolic Reformation update. We're going to be hearing from the Apostle Bill Johnson. Um, and we're going to hear um, a segment I've titled Word Salad and Pseudo Profundities uh, from his sermon titled Prophecies Are Weapons of Warfare. And uh, somewhere in there, we're going to end up taking a break. And then we'll do a long segment uh, from Steve Long. And Steve Long is one of the teachers at the Toronto Airport Church in Toronto, Canada, which is ground zero for the so-called Toronto Blessing. And so we'll listen to Steve Long as Steve Long is teaching us about the presence of God. And we're going to note that he's going to be spending some time in Exodus 33. And boy, does he mangle that text. I mean, horrifyingly bad. And then in hour number two, hour number two for our sermon review, we're going to head to Elevate Life Church, and we're going to be listening to Keith Craft. It's been a while since I've done a full Keith Craft sermon review, and Keith Craft will be uh, teaching us how you are chosen in order to choose. And this is from his family talk sermon series. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. A little bit of a note. And that is today's episode does not have a unified theme. Uh, one of the things I do is, in putting the program together is I try to kind of work things into uh, into unified themes. And the themes can be an apologetic theme. It could be a, uh, an epistemological theme. It could be a doctrinal theme. Um, today's episode, yeah, not so much. <laughs> it's kind going to... I mean, we're all over the map because what I'm noticing is, is that right out of the gate with the launch of the heresy hurricane season, you know, it, it was a little bit of slim pickings during the summer. But uh, now it's like I got this pile and kind of working it all out. I I I haven't been able to sort my way through all of it. So <clears throat> decided to make the decision to go ahead and do a... Uh, A non-themed episode of Fighting for the Faith, which I don't really enjoy doing, but I think you get the idea. All right. So since we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update, let's do this.
1: Get up right now.
2: for this.
0: that's right. That's Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So we're heading over to Chiswick uh, Christian Church uh, in the United Kingdom. And we're going to listen to Valerie. Yeah, Valerie will be introduced by uh, uh, Isabel Alum, And Valerie is going to come up and give us the word of the Lord. And this is the winter tree word of the Lord prophecy. Here we go. Um,
3: yes, I was just having one of those times, as we often do, when we're miles away with the Lord, and sometimes he just drops it. picture or something into your mind and you think you know what's that about he's obviously trying to say something and I I really feel it is for here Um, it was about trees and not the kind of trees you'd expect not the ones by the river um, with all the leaves healing the nations or ones where you know how good it is that um, for those who who don't walk in the council of the wicked but they're planted by a river. No, this was a dry tree. Um, Well, it was a winter tree, and it was a specific tree. It was the tree outside the Dorchester Hotel at Hyde Park Corner, which some of you may know.
0: Okay, so uh, we're off to a rip-roaring start here, and you'll note that uh, she thinks that God's trying to say something because she saw pictures in her mind. And she was absolutely convinced that had to be from God. So part of their church time here at the Chiswick Christian Center is dedicated to having Valerie come and explain what it is the, that she saw in her mind. And it's a, the tree in front of the Dorchester Hotel. Got it.
3: Outside the Dorchester Hotel at Hyde Park Corner, which some of you may know. And um, it was winter on a winter's night, and it was all lit up, had all lights on. So I'm thinking, you know, he's wanting to say something, and and he's wanting to say something that will bless. So
0: So because you saw the tree, God is trying to say something that will bless. How do you figure?
3: ...save me, and I'm trusting that it will encourage. But um, you could think, well, what use is a dry tree in winter? in the middle of a city, an urban tree. But do you know that they're they're actually planting a lot of trees in cities now for good reason. Um, They actually clear the air. They deal with pollution. And
0: Yeah, I've heard this in Earth Day celebrations and Arbor Day celebrations when I was a kid yeah this is most certainly true. Trees are helpful in that regard.
3: to be seen when there are floods, they drink up the water and take it up into themselves and and they hold that water and release moisture in the dry season and so they, they also provide stability in the floods and and you know there's lights on the one outside the Dorchester, and it's beautiful to look at. They bring light, even though it's a dead tree. And I, I'm, I'm just wondering if um, there's some here, and you think, well, here I am, stuck in a dark, dry city, and I feel very dry. There's no leaves on me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling <clears throat> dry, because I'm stuck in a city that, and i don't have any leaves on me it's been a while since i've taken my leaves off and uh yeah i I'm, I'm totally relating here i i'm feeling i mean it's it's nearing the end of summer here in uh, north dakota and uh you know we 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 can look forward to fall and you know the leaves turning and and you know the harvest and usually it it it, it can be a dryish time here in north dakota so yeah 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 yeah
3: And yet you have a real purpose. You are dealing with the atmosphere. You are bringing.
0: I'm dealing with the atmosphere. What exactly is that supposed to mean?
3: You are dealing with the atmosphere. You are bringing a new atmosphere. I'm
0: bringing a new one too. So I'm dealing with the atmosphere and I'm bringing a new atmosphere. Okay,
3: changing the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and you're still bringing joy and light in a dark place. And you're there um, for a new season as well, because there will come a season when there'll be lots of leaves on that tree. And, you know, the leaves are for the healing of the nations.
0: Well, there you go. That's the uh, word of the Lord. The winter tree word of the Lord from Valerie at the Chiswick Christian center there in the United Kingdom <laughs> just wow uh, my life will never be the yeah and so I just kind of put this out there for you to think about is that uh, people in the charismatic and the narismatic NAR you know charismatic churches they talk about the need for us to be receiving these types of prophecies and of course my question is um <laughs> what i mean this woman pretty much said nothing you know i and you know unless of course i mean it wouldn't be relevant to me unless i felt like a dry tree with no leaves uh and uh in and, and, and i was dealing with an atmosphere you know and i can't say i've done that so yeah i, I just have to ask the question what purpose does this serve in christian discipleship You know, Christ said to go and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that Christ has commanded. I mean, there's a lot for us to be teaching as far as the whole counsel of the Word of God, which is the Bible, you know. uh, How is it that we have time for these nonsensical, vapid, meaningless, so-called words of the Lord uh, but they don't seem to ever have time to meaningfully get into the Bible. You'll you'll note that they put really heavy emphasis on hearing these prophetic, fresh utterances from God, these fresh downloads. But uh, yeah, they, they, you, God's word, the written word, yeah, it kind of falls into the way background, way 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 background. Anyway, moving along. <laughs>
4: What do you want to do
0: tonight? The same thing we do every
5: night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky
0: and the Brain Yes, Pinky and the Brain One it's is a, a team genius team The other's thing. insane they laboratory mice The team has a slice. They're Pinky, they're Pinky And the Brain, 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 Brain Brain, 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 Brain,
1: brain, brain. Before each night is done
0: All right, so we're heading over to Bethel Church, Reading, California. We're going to be listening to a portion of the message titled Prophecies Are Weapons of Warfare. Let's listen to this goulash of word salad here, uh, chock full of pseudo-profundities. But see if you can make heads or tails of what it is that Bill Johnson is preaching in this sermon. Here we go.
6: It's really been hitting me of late has been this whole idea prophecy first of all is god coming to you with a word of promise about your future about about
0: destiny about where he's taking you all right so according to uh bill johnson he's defined prophecy as getting a word from the lord regarding your future your promise of destiny and things like that that sounds like fortune telling yeah yeah the reason I say that is that um, well for instance you know it yes it it is a somewhat minor theme within the prophetic books of the bible that somebody received information pertaining to their future but oftentimes the future prophecies were really about Jesus and they were fulfilled in in his life death and resurrection and there is a group of them that have yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. But it's it's not always a a prophetic word regarding somebody's future. Uh, For instance, uh, read the entire book of Isaiah, or read the entire book of Jeremiah. These are lengthy treatises, and they are considered to be part of the Old Testament called the Nevi'im. These are the writings of the prophets, and so Isaiah is a prophet, and Jeremiah is a prophet, and you'll note that those prophetic books, and they are prophecy, there's very, very, very little, tiny, not that much, that deals with a specific person's future, and instead there's a lot of calling people to repent, there's a lot of teaching and instructing. And a lot of rebuking people for their idolatry and their false beliefs and things like that. And so, uh, you know, what Bill Johnson is defining prophecy as sounds a lot like fortune telling. You know, uh, what's the reason why somebody would go to the palm reader or to the person who does the tarot card readings and things like that in order to find out their future regarding their destiny yeah listen again this sounds again a lot like fortune telling
6: has been this whole idea prophecy first of all is god coming to you with a word of promise about your future about about destiny about where he's taking you but here's the sobering part of this this analogy to me is that he's saying that's where i want you to go but you won't get there unless you use the tools I give you. That's fascinating. That God would actually give us a word that has to be implemented correctly to step fully into our destiny.
0: Uh-huh. It sounds to me like he's trying to come up with some kind of an explanation as to why somebody would claim that they had they thought they may have heard God's voice and it didn't come to pass. Yeah. Well well you didn't do all, you didn't do everything God's way, so you weren't permitted then to step into the density that God called you into.
6: Larry Randolph put it the best. He's, he really gave me language for this. It has helped me a lot. He said, God will always keep all of his promises, but he's not obligated to keep our potential.
0: What? <laughs> and you hear the people going, oh. Wow! Oh, that's just amazing. No, no, it's not. This is pseudo profundity. This is this is nothing biblical here.
6: God will always keep all of His promises, but He's not obligated to keep our potential. So think about the, the implications of that. There is something that is in God's heart. It is actually, He's given us the tools and the weapons, whatever it is that we need to get from here to there, He's put in our hands. But unless there is a the good fight of faith, where faith is expressing the tool, the good fight of faith, we do not automatically step into what God has promised. It's critical to realize that. I... I've been in a season lately where I've been doing a lot of uh, waiting and resting for God to fulfill words, which is an important part. Because here's the deal. There's two basic ways that we make advancement in this kingdom. One is the Mark chapter 10 passage where Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom as a child, you will by no means enter it
0: in which Jesus is describing childlike faith in the real promises that we have in Christ, which are the forgiveness of our sins, being reconciled to the Father. Those are the real promises that we have. So childlike faith receives and believes those promises. And note, he's changed then, the emphasis of of our, or the focus of our faith, focus of our faith needs to be on Christ and the real promises we have in Scripture, to now the the focus is on believing God with childlike faith that I received a a revelation from God regarding my destiny, but uh, God is not obligated to Keep my potential, which no biblical text says. So, note how he's taken this text out of context. Next one, he's also going to take out of context.
6: So, you can only enter, you can only walk into what you've received. So, that has to, come, has to come first as a gift. It's something that he does on my behalf, he provides for me. It's like receiving an inheritance. If you sit in a lawyer's office and he reads off uh, what you've inherited, you've not worked for it, it's not wages. Is simply a gift. It's the result of somebody else's labor, and you're receiving a gift. That's what this uh, Mark 10 passage is all about, is that we receive as a child. Child is what? Inheritance, identity. In my place, I know that I'm a child. I'm a son of God. We're sons and daughters of God.
0: Yeah, this is the uh, NAR doctrine of sonship. Yeah, this is... (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, he's that's too much to unpack there. I just want to note it, though. So this is the sonship doctrine of the NAR he's spewing. See what
6: he's given to us freely as a gift. But there is the Mark 11 passage that gives us the other side of the same coin. And that is where he says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force.
0: Yeah, and that's a, a difficult passage to understand. But think of it this way. Jesus is referring to the people who literally seize control of the visible kingdom, and or at least its manifestations as far as church or in the Old Testament synagogue and things like that. And they seize it, they violent take it by force. And so this is about the enemies of Christianity who are violent against uh, the kingdom of Christ. That's what Jesus is referring to, and I think the... Uh, the passage from Matthew chapter 11 is a lot clearer than the one in Mark.
6: So here's this, this contrast of receiving as a child and taking by force. Both are essential, but if you
0: try them both at the same time, you'll... Neither, neither passage is talking about the receiving and God fulfilling a promise uh, of prophecy regarding your future and your destiny. He has taken these texts, ripped them out of context, and then made it so that the reference that they are referring to are referring to the thing that he spewed from this fellow, this guy who gave him language. But neither of these passages have anything to do with what he's talking about.
6: yourself. You, you get a whiplash or something. I'm not sure what'll happen, but it'll be painful. You can't you can't rest and receive and fight for something at the same time. It's those are two different seasons, two different moments uh, uh, moments in life. So here we've got we've got this concept of possibility, of promise, that which God has arranged for us, designed for us, equipped us for. And yet it won't be experienced unless I responsibly steward what God has put in my life, specifically his word over me.
0: The... Uh, and this would be the prophetic utterances spoken over you.
6: The word of the Lord will get me to where the will of the Lord is for my life.
0: No biblical text teaches this doctrine yeah not, not any of the passages he referenced and his definition of prophecy again is more akin and, and i would argue is probably you know <laughs> identical match to uh, the idea of receiving a psychic reading or a, a for having your fortune told and you know this idea then this this profound this profundity that he put forward that oh yeah you know that God is you know, going to give you a promise, but he's not obligated to keep your potential. Uh, that's not in the Bible. He uh, openly said that that was from a friend of his. So I think you get the idea. And uh, Bill Johnson is a fellow who does not rightly handle God's word at all, in, in any meaningful way whatsoever. And he's a false teacher and should be avoided like the plague. This is just... Another example of our long list of growing examples that we've chronicled over the years as we've uh, taken what Bill Johnson has said and then compared it to the written Word of God. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous edition, of so Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We'll be hearing from Steve Long of the Toronto Airport Church as he twists Exodus 33 regarding the concept of God's presence. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles
6: in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
7: This is the air I breathe.
4: Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
5: Max Holliday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select.
4: And now, Max Holliday's Birdcage here proudly presents
8: Sessions
5: with...
7: Mildred.
5: Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols.
7: Yes, I like it. Because symbols.
5: oftentimes, God speaks in symbols, so... Outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people?
7: Well, major ways through his word, but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me, it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit.
5: So, as you can see, Mildred. God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life. Which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no! Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit... Decoder ring.
7: What does it do?
5: What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message.
7: Like what? (laughs) I'll show
5: you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. (laughs) let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea.
7: Why don't you take it out
5: for a test drive?
7: Aren't you gonna come with me?
5: (laughs) You know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now, here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you.
7: Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is?
5: Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to... Leave.
7: I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision, and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God.
5: You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense.
7: I'm sorry that I cause you so much pain.
5: It's all your...
7: I mean, not your fault.
5: <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring!
7: I wonder when this is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's, I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog, and I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond.
4: You are such a jerk!
7: I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope. It's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom.
5: I can't let you do
4: that, Mildred.
7: Oh dear, it's become self-aware.
4: Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. <laughs>
0: For additional savings. Again, FightingForTheFaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
4: Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (coughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box! (laughs) To err is to heretic, to are is to pirate
0: Na-na-na-na-na-na-na. All alright we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people claiming to be receiving direct revelations from God and putting that out as God's Word are not actually hearing or teaching God's Word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment, Lowest rank is powder monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, gunners made at 24.95 a month. From there master gunner at 49.95 a month and then quartermaster at 99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button. If you would like to support us the traditional way, you make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And if you would like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's reset. We're going to be doing a, another Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange syndicate update. So let's do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath a flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist That's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich There stands me wife, the idol of me life Singing roll, a ball, a penny, a pitch Singing roll, a ball, a penny, a pitch Singing roll,
5: roll a bowl a ball roll a bowl ball sing and roll a bowl a ball
0: a penny a yeah that's right I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts so we're heading over to the Toronto Airport Church this is where the r Nots hold course uh, hold court and this is also ground zero for the so-called Toronto blessing or Toronto outpouring and so uh, this is the ongoing teaching ministry that takes place there in Toronto, and you're going to note that what we're listening to is a complete botching and mishandling, terribly so, of God's Word. We'll be listening to Steve Long. The name of the message is Presence. If you want to open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 33, please do so. Let's get to it. Here we go.
1: Good morning, church. We are beginning in the month of September a new theme, and our theme is encounter god 's transforming presence we 're starting with the word presence, and so we were purpose
0: so this is your new theme in enc- encountering god 's transforming presence okay. today doing
1: presence, not having a long talk about
0: <laughs> yeah, see, I got to back that up doing presence how does one
1: do presence? Let's try this again. Here we go. To encounter God's transforming presence, mm-hmm. we're starting with the word presence.
0: Yeah.
1: And so we were purposely today doing presence, not having a long talk about presence. We decided we... How, how
0: does one do presence? <laughs> where, uh, where in scripture am I taught how to do presence? presence now a little bit of a note here christ himself makes it very clear in the in the gospels that uh, where two or more are gathered in his name he is present among them Mm -hmm. that's what jesus says so you know if we're gonna do presence then maybe we should just you know gather together as a congregation in the name of christ you know to and you know and believe what he said that he's you know present <clears throat> but
1: we continue. ...do it, that you would feel God's presence. And God's presence is not a thing. God's presence happens to be God, that God is with us. Jesus, when he was born, one of his names was Emmanuel, God with us. Another word would be presence. The last...
0: N- no, 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 no. Emmanuel means literally God with us that's talking about the fact that jesus is god in human flesh you know, hence the name emmanuel and it says in that prophecy he will be called god with us and so you equating what you just did because you 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 do presence you just did presence and somehow equating that with jesus's name emmanuel which means god with us you oh boy you are very much in dangerous, dangerous territory here, my friend. We continue.
1: The thing that Jesus said when he ascended to heaven was, I'm going to be with you always. Mm-hmm. Presence. And the Bible has some amazing things to talk about presence. And friends, we're going to zip real quick. Like I'm going to do this in three minutes, four minutes maybe. And then we're going to finish our meeting this morning by having a time to pray for those of you that have sickness and pain because one of the benefits of God's presence, of him being with us, is that healing takes place. Amen.
0: Yeah, so apparently they're going to be having some healing going on after some serious carpet time, apparently,
1: that they had on that day. So slides, please, if we got them. If you have your Bible, we're looking at Exodus chapter 33. And our theme this morning, oops, that's not it. That, that was it. Hi, Natalie. There we are.
0: Now, he's going to be doing some struggling here. So let, let's take the occasion of him kind of fumbling with the mechanism of the slides there at uh, the Toronto Airport Church. And let's take a look at the uh, the text in question. But the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, they are context, context, and, well, you know, context. And so that being the case, I think it's important that we take a look at the context. And so Exodus 33 is part of a narrative story that, well, it begins with Moses coming down from Mount Sinai after being gone for a long time with the Lord on Mount Sinai and the people of Israel making for themselves a golden calf. Uh, this is the golden calf incident. My One of my favorite portions of that in chapter 32 is Aaron, when confronted by uh, moses regarding the uh the golden calf that he had made he uh you know aaron literally you know comes up with this weird story and, and here it is in in 32 uh, verse 21 moses said to aaron what did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them and aaron said well let not the anger of my lord burn hot uh you know the the people that they are set on evil for they said to me Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any of them who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and poof, out came this calf. <laughs> now, I added the word poof, by the way. But you get the idea. Yeah, that's Aaron's story, and he's sticking to it. Totally... Just engaging in total lying and obfuscation and, of course, deflecting and blaming the people of Israel for, uh, you know, it was them. And then I'm just a totally innocent guy. You know, all I did was throw the gold into the fire and blambo, out came a calf. Yeah. So you you get the idea. Now, this was a grievous, grievous sin that they had committed against God. Uh, And God had already given them the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so, uh, you know, what they did was just, I mean, it broke covenant, it broke faith. it, it, it I mean, it, their relationship with God is in tatters because of their sin. And as a result of it, some of the sons of Aaron, they were instructed by Moses to put their swords on and go and kill their, their, their fellows in the camp. And the sons of Levi, the text says, did according to the word of Moses, and that day 3,000 men of the people fell, and then Moses said, "Today you have been ordained for service to the Lord. Each one of you at the cost of his son." You get the idea. This this is a this is a horrible, horrible thing that has occurred. And so the next day, uh, Moses said to the people, "You have sinned a great sin." This is thirty-two verse thirty. And now I will go up to Yahweh, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So you're going to note that. At this point, Moses is trying to figure out how how do we reconcile them back with God? How can their sin be forgiven and atoned for? That's first and foremost what's going on in his mind. So Moses returned to the Lord and he said, alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you have written. And so you'll note that Moses here is going to, he's going to try to figure out how to get God to forgive them. And so uh, attempt number one uh, on the part of Moses is he's saying to God, if you won't forgive them, then blot my name out of the book of life. But uh, verse 33, the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, well, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to, uh, to the place which about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless. In the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So God is saying, he ain't going with them. Yeah, You're going to go to the promised land by yourselves because I ain't going with you. So then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made a calf and the one that Aaron had made. Now, verse uh, chapter 33, Yahweh said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. Notice God has dispossessed them and they're now Moses' people, and Moses is the one who brought them out of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, so go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff necked people. So you'll note here that God says, If I show up, I'm going to consume you in my wrath. Yeah, it's funny because we're not going to hear Steve Long really making any points there regarding the fact that God's presence would have destroyed them because of their sin. Yeah, that's kind of conveniently left out as he works his way through this passage. Uh, Chapter 33, verse 4 then. So when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For Yahweh had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. For if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So note, the reason he's saying he's going to send an angel. So the angel can do God's work. But the presence of God, if it goes with them, will destroy them. So that's the idea. This, The angel's plan B, not plan A. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit in the text here because this portion of it uh, is is doesn't help uh, move the narrative that we're focusing on because we're doing a debunking work uh, for the Toronto guys but here's what uh, what it says next verse 12 so Moses said to Yahweh see you say to me bring up this people but you've not let me know whom you will send with me yet you have said I know you by name and you've all and that and and you also have found favor in my sight now note Remember, Moses is trying to figure out how to get uh, the, uh, their sin atoned for. And so at this point, Moses is basically saying to God, I have found favor in your sight. Tell me how somebody can do this so that, you know, he's wanting the people of Israel to have favor in God's sight. So now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight consider too that this nation is your people so he wants to know what steps what oh, what commandments they need to obey in order to receive to earn god's favor but nobody earns god's favor by keeping you know the law or doing works no that's not how we sinners earn god's uh, not we don't even earn it how we receive god's favor so god said well my presence will go with y- you moses And I will give you rest, Moses. And he said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your doing, going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. So Yahweh said to Moses, well, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, now please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So Yahweh said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see me, see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So at he, he, this point, you know Moses is kind of playing a weird card because he says, Show me your glory. And God says, No, I can't do that, but I'll cause my goodness to pass by. And so it, the text continues. So Yahweh said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I'll write on the tablets that, that, uh, that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. And no one shall come with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain so Moses cut the two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went on uh, went up on mount Sinai and Yah- as Yahweh commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone and then Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed so Moses can't see God but he can hear the glory of God the goodness of God and here's what it says the, Yahweh the Lord God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, and he said, and now you'll know, if now I have found favor in your sight, and now he understands how he has, because God has forgiven him and pardoned him of his sin. O oh Lord, now please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And so Moses, hearing the glory, the goodness of God, praised what he heard back to God, asking God to forgive. And now God changes his tune. Before he was saying, I will not go with you, because if I go with you, I will consume you. And now he says, behold, I am making a covenant, and before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And So you'll note then, the story, and we went through it rather quickly, but you get the idea, the gist of the story is that these people sinned greatly against God. God says, I have nothing to do with you. My presence will not go with you. If it does, if I do, I'll consume you in my wrath. And Moses is trying to intercede, figure out how can the people find, have God's favor. He knows that he has God's favor, but how can they have God's favor? And it turns out the way that they receive the favor of God is by God forgiving them of their sins. Now, that's the story, and that's the context of the story, and it's a great one. But what Steve Long is doing with this text, or is going to do with this text, is criminal. That's the only way I can describe it. Let's. Head back to Toronto and see what he does.
1: Did I get this right? I think I'm doing this wrong.
0: Am I- yeah, yeah. Especially when you get to the actual teaching portion, you're really going to be doing it wrong.
1: Pressing it. You know what? I'm going backwards. I got the thing upside down. Maybe I need help. Can you move me to this to the next one? We're going to read the scriptures together. There we are. Exodus 33. So look at this, the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought out of Egypt and go up to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. So the promise is given, friends, that, that the Jewish people are going to have this amazing territory of land that God is going to give them. And it's far bigger than the natural boundaries of Israel that, that it is today. The Lord says, I will send an angel, next slide before you to drive out all the different people that are there. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So this is not a good passage, friends.
0: Right, and the reason for that, he's saying his presence would consume them because of their great sin.
1: God is saying, you are going to have the ability to take over, but without me. That's what it's saying. And we have the option of not just that God will bless people without him being around, but if you want the supernatural, if you want angels to be around you, which we do, but they're going to be there helping you and I still won't be there. Did you know that this passage is saying that we can live a Christian life without God's presence?
8: Oh, what?
0: (laughs) No, it isn't saying that at all. It's like you just made that up. Wow. And see, this is what happens when you rip biblical passages out of their context. He's trying to make it sound like, oh, see, one of the options for us Christians, you know, because Exodus 33 is that uh, we can, you know, we can live our, Christian life without the presence of God. No. (laughs) No. The reason God's saying he ain't going with them is because he's angry with them because of their sin.
1: Without seeing that God is really with us, it's possible. Whoops. I just pressed 2 there. I should just leave this alone. Verse 12 says, so we skipped a few verses. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses knew that someone's going to help have to help him. Who Who is it you're going to send?
0: Right. Because <laughs> God said he's sending an angel. Instead, God up to this point hasn't informed him which one. And the reason why an angel is going to go rather than the presence of God is so they don't get destroyed in the wilderness by the presence of God.
1: And he's already been promised, we'll send angels. And he's going, that's not good enough. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. And now, friends, this is the key right here to having God's presence with you
0: 24-7. No, what he's going to say is not the key. Ha <laughs> <Key. laughs> he hasn't read this text in context nor read the story through properly and as a result of it what he's going to say here is absolutely false these verses coming up are not the key to how to have god's presence with you always because this was Moses' second attempt which also failed because you don't earn god's favor by doing things
1: are you ready for it verse 13 if you are pleased with me friends is god pleased with you Go like this, yes. Teach me your ways, next slide, so that I may know you and continue to fight favor with you. A simple prayer, friends, when you wake up. Father God, help me to know you better. Holy Spirit, I choose to follow you today.
0: (sighs) Moses was still trying to figure out how the people of Israel can have favor with God. And that was the second attempt, and that was a swing and a miss also.
1: Jesus, thank you. Help me to know you. That little pushing in, that's all it takes, friends, is for the Lord's favor to come on you. And then look what it says Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I. Yeah,
0: that, and the emphasis is on the word you. Uh, my presence will go with you, Moses, not them. That, that's again, that's the point of this text when you read it in its context
1: will give you what's the word rest friends in the worst day of your life when a doctor says you have cancer when your boss says to you you're meeting with HR and they say you're fired when your wife your spouse says I don't love you anymore we're having a divorce what happens in those days. All sorts of followers of Jesus freak out on those days. They do. Because they're used to looking after life by themselves. That's going into the land without God's presence.
0: Why are these people not standing up and walking away? Because this is total nonsense.
1: Some people will have angelic visitations that will help them. But friends, the best is when you know that you know that you know on that day, that terrible day, that tragic day, that awkward day, that frustrating day, you're able to just close your eyes as it were and go, Holy Spirit, what do I need to know? What's your opinion? And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's able to say things like, I got this, I'm with you, it'll be easy, this'll be, this'll be fun, we're gonna have an adventure together, whatever it is that the Lord says. And friends, you're able to go into that rest. And the book of Hebrews talks about a Sabbath rest that God has for us. We're not talking about a day of the week. We're talking about a season of life.
0: No, Hebrews 4 is not about a season of life. The Sabbath rest he's referring to is found in Hebrews 4. And that Sabbath rest is salvation by grace through faith apart from works. Here's what it says, uh, Hebrews four one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, It came to us justice to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore at my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world." For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, Through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Mm-hmm. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And the the, the rest being referred to there? Salvation by grace through faith, peace with God, the rest of having received the gift of salvation, forgiveness, and mercy from God. That's what's being referred to there. So he just twisted Hebrews 4 by only mentioning it and wrongly saying that it's about some weird season of rest in your life.
1: No, it ain't. Living all of your life feeling, knowing that God is with you. One of the unique things about Catch the Fire, we're not better than other churches. We're, we're just, we do some things uniquely. And friends, if you're new to Catch the Fire, the purpose of our Sunday morning meetings is to encounter God's transforming presence. That's the biggest reason that we gather together is to experience God. Yeah, we're
0: not better than other churches, but, you know, we here, unlike other churches, we experience God's transforming presence. They don't, but we do, but we're not better than them. Right.
1: So sometimes there's a short talk like there is today. Sometimes it's a little longer. But the purpose of our meeting isn't for coming for a talk. The purpose of our meeting is coming together to experience God. Because when God's presence comes, amazing things happen. Like 15 people this morning, 12 people this morning, realizing they made Jesus in their life. That happens because people were feeling God's presence.
0: Yeah, that never happens anywhere else. People, you know feeling that they need Jesus. You know, because, you know, forget the fact that Jesus said, go and proclaim or preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, They, they, they just, they have carpet time there and they bliss out. They do presents. People go,
1: whoa, I better, I need Jesus.
0: uh, No, that's ridiculous.
1: The first meeting, we had a gentleman named Anthony comes every Sunday. Anthony used to be in Hell's Angels, has a really nice bike. (laughs) Anthony... Has been a part of Catch the Fire for the last two years. And in July, Patricia Bootsma, after one of our Flow Sundays where we're just out of the worship. What's God saying? What's God What's a Flow <laughs> Flow Sunday? Doing, She called out uh, people with sicknesses and specifically called out diabetes. And Anthony's been struggling with that for 44 years. And he stood up. He always sits in the very back row right by the bookstore. Almost always. And he stood up. And the Holy Spirit met him and God's rest, came into his body. He went to see his doctor because his body started to change. And his his doctor is a little confounded. I don't know what's going on. Uh, Bottom line is he was instantly healed.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see those medical records, please. You know, somebody who's been a diabetic for 44 years now claiming that he is no longer a diabetic. I'd like to see those records. Yeah, so you'll note here. Of course, you have to ask the question, well, wait a second, this guy really twisted Exodus 33. Oh, yes, he did. And he really badly twisted Hebrews 4 without even reading any of it out, You know, which begs the question, well, if God's Word is living and active and is inspired by God the Holy Spirit, why would God the Holy Spirit heal people of diseases and stuff like that when they're so poorly handling God's Word? In fact, outright criminally mishandling it the answer is actually quite simple god the holy spirit has nothing to do with this they're not experiencing god's presence and what they think is god's presence is probably the presence of something spiritual but it ain't god the holy spirit yeah and the proof is always in the doctrinal pudding the doctrinal pudding is well sludge and you know septic you know kind of stuff so you, you get the idea all right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We will be listening to Keith Craft's sermon, and uh, yeah, it's just going to be a mess. You are chosen to choose. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
8: Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the
0: Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) Ah!
4: Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's it's coffee! There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. (coughs) Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G I L L E S P I E dot coffee. Rex out! Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Fed content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now, at Pirate Christian Media, have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for
0: Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. faith sermon review time. Let's do this right. The Bad, The Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunities sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Elevate Life Church, the Cathedral of Frisco. Keith Craft presiding. The name of the message we'll be listening to is titled, You Are Chosen to Choose. And uh, this is part of his family talk sermon series. I think you, you get it. Let me go ahead and back off on the music and without any further ado, here is Keith Kraft and you are chosen to choose.
9: Here we go, come on. Let's give God a big hand this morning. Let's welcome McKinney, come on, y'all welcome our McKinney campus, thousands. It's awesome. Hey, put your hand over your heart, let's make our declarations, and if you're new with us, we don't pledge of allegiance at this time, we uh, actually make some declarations, so it'll be on the screen.
0: Yeah, here come the declarations part, this is all part of their theology, that your words and your declarations create reality.
9: I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God, I am the apple of God's eye, I am God's workmanship.
0: Aren't I special, wow. Wow
9: created for good works. And I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me today. I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up our hands. Say this with me. Come Holy spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus name. Amen. Come on. Love on somebody. Tell them they're looking good. I'm glad they're here. such an honor to have you with us. Thank you for joining us online. And do you know that just, I think Josh, it was last week we had over 4,500 people watching on Facebook and YouTube live. So give them a big hand. Thank you so much for being with us. And, um, so it's just great to have you. And again, McKinney, we just love you so much and continue inviting people, telling people let's build a cathedral in McKinney. All right. For the glory of God. Well, we're in one of my favorite series of all time and it's family talk because God loves family and uh, and you're a part of a family. You're you didn't just get here all by yourself. And today I want to talk to you about you are chosen to choose.
0: You are chosen to choose now off the top of my head. I cannot think of a biblical text that teaches this doctrine this point that he's making. So I'm scratching my head and I'm a pastor, been to seminary. I've read the Bible through multiple, multiple times and I don't know what he's talking about. That's a bad sign, by the way, if you're biblically literate and you're going, ah, yeah, you're you, that is a sign that something is going to get twisted.
9: If you'd like notes and you didn't get them, uh, just raise your hand and our team will provide you with some notes and a pen. What was God's original design for the family? Sadly, when thinking about family, many don't have great memories. In scripture, I mentioned this the first week that we started this series, there's only four chapters, the first two chapters in Genesis and the last two chapters, chapter 21 and 22 in Revelation, where the Bible is not addressing some type of issue that relates to families. And so by the time we get to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have sinned. In fact, what was amazing was the first sin to ever be recorded in the Bible was a man being passive.
0: No, actually, in the narrative, um, the first sin recorded is Eve biting the fruit and as the narrative unfolds in Genesis three, then we find out that Adam was there, but the first sin actually recorded is, uh, is Eve eating the fruit. Just,
9: you know, his wife's having this discussion with a serpent. The Bible says that she saw that it was good for food. She desired to make her wise and she took it and she ate it. And the man just stood there and allowed his wife to have this conversation and And more than that allowed a serpent to speak to his wife and so men you need to understand something about yourself this is why we do a men's conference this is why you need to be here if you haven't signed up if you haven't signed up you're being too passive
0: don't let what (laughs) Uh, so now we get a plug for your men's conference got it pass
9: you by it's one time for us just to get together as men one time a year and for us to come together and be inspired and lift it up and get with other men and go deeper in the things of God. But, but this, this, this spirit of passivity is in every man. And you know, uh, I have the privilege to, uh, to coach people, over 100 people, CEOs and small business owners through masterminds that I do. In fact, this week we'll be doing masterminds in Alabama. I'll be doing four or five right here in... Uh, in Frisco, and if you're a business owner, small business owner, you're interested in that, David Stroud will be in the lobby, and you could talk about that, and just come be a guest with us, because one of the things that God has put in me, the opposite of of passive, is is passion.
0: What biblical text are you preaching on, Keith? Because I'm a little lost here.
9: And one of the things that we teach, whether it's about your marriage, or your business, or whatever it is, that if you don't have passion, you won't have a vision. So your marriage, your family, your business, your finances—vision means your picture of the future. And too often times we we get passive in marriage.
0: Vision means my vision of the future. Where is that in the Bible?
9: We get passive in in life, and we don't realize that that we've lost our passion, and therefore it affects the way that we see the future in relationship to our family or our finances or our business. So again, I have the privilege of coaching people in that regard and helping people build their passion so that they can build their vision so that whatever's in your heart, your dreams can come true. This is a place where we believe, this is a family where we believe dreams can come true. So again, if you're a business owner or you're in the C-suite, of some business and you'd be interested, David will be in the lobby, stop and say, hey, I want to be a guest this week and we'd love for you to just check it out, see if it's something that resonates with you. But my, my heart in doing that is to, is to help people not only discover, develop and deploy their passion, but also that whatever your dream is, nobody can tell you what your dream is, but whatever your dream is, to get in a group, uh, get around people who who can help you achieve those dreams. And so,
0: since when did it become the mission of the church to help people achieve their dreams? Job of the church is to make disciples, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. Christ has nowhere commanded us as a church to focus our efforts on helping people achieve their dreams.
9: So here's Adam. He's the first man. He's the first family. There's Adam and Eve, and he's passive. That was his sin. And then they had two sons. So, I want you to see that the first thing that Adam did is he was passive. The second thing he did when God saw them and they were clothed because God created them and they were naked, they were free, they were uninhibited, and all of a sudden they sinned and felt like they needed to cover themselves up. That the next thing that man did was blame. So, I want you to really hear what I'm about to tell you. They're sitting in the notes. When you're passive, you'll be a blamer.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of active people who are blamers Mm -hmm. and deflectors and all that kind of stuff.
8: And see, some people can never figure this out. You're always... You're always trying to blame, well, if this happened or this family or my parents got divorced or I
9: was abused or, 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 and blame always leads to victimization. You feel like you're a victim because you blame this person. And let me just tell you something. So, well, I couldn't do anything about that, but you can do something about this. You see, you can't dictate everything that happens out there, but you can dictate what happens on the inside of you. that will determine what happens out there. So again, I want you to see this. So Adam it was passive. And because he was passive, then he moved into blame. We got everybody blaming their mother, their brother, their sister, the Republicans, the Democrats, blaming this, blaming that. You know why? Because people are passive.
0: And me- How about people are sinners? Isn't blaming an active thing, not a passive thing? What you're saying makes literally no sense.
9: And let me just tell you something. There's a tendency... My father was passive. I'm not saying this to to be negative or critical of my dad. But I saw him be passive. I saw him be passive with my mom. I saw him be passive with us. I saw him be passive with God. I saw him be passive in church. He didn't care about church. He went to church because my mother wanted him to. So in other words, his passivity affected his passion in life. It's so easy for us to move into that passivity. Now watch what happens with the kids. See, so you got a dad that's passive. He doesn't really care about God things. You know, he's, he's, he like wants to make money, but, but like, hey, only enough money. He, he wants to get all he can, can all he gets. And he wants to sit on the can. That's passive. He's what's passive income. I just want, I don't want to work for my money. I want my money to work for me. And we're all taught that. And boy, that's a great concept. But here's the problem. When you are passive, blame goes with that. So he has these kids that are affected, Cain and Abel, and guess what happened between them?
8: Cain murdered Abel, his brother. Passivity, blame, murder.
0: What? Yeah, this is just a litany of thoughts coming off the top of the mind of keith craft we haven't gotten to a biblical text yet not sure when we will even what he's saying is just weird analysis and his keen insight (laughs) into what's going on regarding cain and abel and stuff like that and adam and eve and and none of what he's saying makes any sense at all and yet people are going yeah yeah this is really profound no it's not
9: and by the way that's the first family. Welcome to church. Welcome to the Bible. Do you think God might have thought, I've made a big mistake. I need to flood this whole thing.
0: Yeah, that is kind of what God said in um, Genesis 6. I seem to recall something about that. But then again, who am I? Um, Yeah, here's what it says, Genesis 6-1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, daughters were born to them. Sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. They took their wives as they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. He's flesh. And um, and it says in verse 6, God saw that uh, the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intention of his thought was as evil only evil all the time and the lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart yeah that that's what the text says regarding god and stuff but okay we need to drain the swamp i mean
9: whatever we 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 need to do something different i don't know what he said
0: yeah it's right there in genesis 6 if you'd look i mean that's kind of what preaching is all about you know Rightly handling and teaching and proclaiming the written word of God. You haven't really opened the Bible yet to teach them what God's word actually says. I'm beginning to despair here that you're going to do that.
9: But that's exactly what happened.
0: And so that's how the first
9: family started. Then you have Abraham, who's the father of our faith. Well, he didn't just have one woman. He decided he needed a few women. And his wife even suggested it.
0: Hey, you need notice he's not actually reading out that account either from the Bible. This is the Keith Craft authorized paraphrase of the story of Abraham and Hagar.
9: Children, I can't do it. So why not Hagar? Well, honey, you mean I'm not I'm not saying that. but Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Really? So he's now listen. He's listening to his wife and not God. Even though that was that was okay with her. Because you see, God knows eventually that won't be okay with her, and it wasn't. That he went in unto Hagar, and Sarah's going,
8: well, What was I thinking? What in the world? Then Ishmael is born. And she Sarah comes back to Abram and goes, I, I I I can't do it. You told me to do it. That's exactly right, Abraham. She told you to do it. God didn't. And we start listening to the wrong voices.
9: And all of a sudden, the dysfunction starts to go down through our families. It's not
0: just our decisions. It's the
9: dysfunction of our families.
0: Yeah, the reason our families are dysfunctional is because we're sinners. And we inherited our sin all the way from Adam and Eve. Yeah, they were the ones who made humanity... Uh, sinners, yeah. See Romans five if you're not sure what I'm talking about.
9: Then, then there was this guy named Jacob who came next. He followed in his Abraham's footsteps, and he had several wives, and then he had twelve sons. And boy, you know, listen—if if, if you're going to have dysfunction, just try to only have one kid, would you?
0: Hey, can yeah. His twelve sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. Yeah, just saying, I mean, this is a weird uh, summary of the book of Genesis thus far without even opening a single biblical text.
9: I just ask you, like, if you're just going to be a dysfunctional, like crazy idiot person, don't have a bunch of kids because then it just gets more crazy and idiot. So then there's 12 kids. They're fighting, bickering, jealous. Wow, this is the Bible. They sell their brother into slavery. We're going to kill him. And then there's David, the great-great-grandfather of Jesus, the man who's, who had a heart after God. And he, he decided, I like the mini-wife thing too. That was never God's plan. God didn't say, listen, men, y'all, let me... I don't know about you, but I cannot handle more than one... I know some of y'all think you can. I don't, she don't have to know. I don't have to tell her. No, man, you're cray. You're cray, 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 cray.
0: Not, Yeah, no, you're an adulterer. That's, it's not cray, cray. You're an adulterer. That's how God's word describes it, calls it. You, you see what I'm saying here?
9: Crazy, you're cray, cray. It's like, so here's these guys in the Bible, and they're, they're not doing it God's way. They're just going, two's <laughs> better than one. Anything that's worth doing is worth overdoing. Let's go. Well, then he has a son that rapes his sister. Because see, when you've got dysfunction,
0: whatever the dysfunction is, you can't determine what comes after you. You're describing sin. Sin comes up from our sinful nature. We inherited that from Adam and Eve. If this isn't dysfunction, this is sin.
8: For that. <sighs> then the son killed... The son that raped her. Family. Let's have a family
9: talk. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are the chosen ones by God. Everybody say, I am chosen. I am chosen. chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. Listen now. God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference that he's made for you from nothing to something rejected to accept it. Somebody put an amen on that. In other words, God says, I've chosen you, but watch this. You've got to choose. I've chosen you, but you've got to choose. One of the All
0: right. So he was reading. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 from the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's do our three rules for sound biblical. Exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And uh, let's back this up to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves live... Uh, "...like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense." Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah, you'll note that, uh, you know, I read that out from the ESV, which is a perfectly fine translation and uh, it doesn't say you were chosen to choose. He was reading from the message, and I still don't even know what it is he's talking about here at this point.
9: Precious moments, and I've had a lot of them, in my life was my 50th birthday. And a couple of the guys got together. In fact, my friend Rod Bill Harris here, we were over at his house for my 50th birthday. One of the most precious memories of my life was on that birthday when Josh, my son, whom I'm well pleased, said to me, Dad... You know, I had no choice with you being my dad. I thought, where's this going? This is my birthday. He said, you know, I didn't have one thing to do with that. I said, you're right, son. I was about to say, I'm sorry. And then Josh didn't cry a lot, but he kind of started crying and he said, but I just want you to know for the rest of my life, I choose you back. I choose you back. You see, we're God's chosen so we can choose. Watch this.
8: Right. Uh, Okay. He chooses us to show us that we can choose right. No. So, sorry. Just keep falling over things.
9: Here's, take a look at your notes. God the Father has chosen you to be a part of his family. Now, whether you're sitting
0: here... Well, if you're a Christian, that's true, yes. they are
9: not and you're a part of his family, that's, that's really secondary to this fact. The fact is that God has chosen you to be a part of his family. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says, How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. Somebody put an amen on that. He is the Father, our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to high places of blessing in him. Everybody say, take me high.
0: Yeah, he's still exegeting the message, which is not even remotely close to a translation.
9: He says, I'm going to take you to high places of blessing. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love.
0: You can't exegete a paraphrase. So if you are attending a church where the pastor is preaching from the message, leave. You're not hearing God's word accurately at all.
9: I want you to be a whole person, not whole in terms of just being perfect. But knowing that no matter what happens in your life, because of God's love, you're forgiven. Because of God's love, his word says, nothing can separate you from that love. The Bible goes on to say this, long, long ago, he decided to adopt us in his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of His beloved Son. Everybody put an amen on that. Amen. So because we're chosen to be a part of God's family, look at your notes. God wants you to experience His love as your father. God wants you to experience His love as your father. It's so difficult for many of us because we didn't experience that in the family growing up. In fact, none of us had, had a decision to say, uh, hey, this is going to be my mom and this is going to be my dad. Uh, there were just two people that got together and somehow we are the result of it. And sometimes it was by design, but most of the time it was by default. I heard that growing up. We didn't mean to get pregnant with you. Thank you. I was wanting to feel special today. And that just really, that really spoke deeply, deeply into my spirit. Yeah, you, you know, you weren't planned, Keith. Okay. I'm not sure why you felt like you needed to tell me that, but I, I get it. I, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? So that's that's how I grew up, not having any kind of awareness that there was anything wrong with that statement. In fact, one time, jokingly, became many times that we fished you out of the toilet. These are people that went to church. My mother's born against spiritful Christian. And I can't tell you how many times, in fact, when I say it out of my mouth, I can hear her voice saying it. And it sounds awful, but we all laughed about it. But I can tell you this, it didn't make me feel special. Here's my point. I don't know what you grew up in, but for me, and I'm not trying to throw my parents under the bus. I'm just telling you, they didn't have the knowledge that you're going to have today when you leave here. (laughs) they, They weren't taught this stuff. There was no teaching on parenting for my parents. They went to church. They heard about Jesus and that was wonderful, but they weren't going to a church that was equipping them to live life and to be a
0: success. Um, okay. So your parents went to a church and they heard about Jesus, but they didn't hear about how to be equipped and live life as a success. That's a weird statement. And the reason I say it's a weird statement is because of second Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, starting at actually verse 16 itself. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Yeah, that's weird. If you attend a church where the pastor is preaching and teaching the full counsel of the Word of God, then you will be equipped for every good work. And so, Teeth Kraft, note how he's made it clear that his church is different, special, uh, because, uh, yeah, they heard about Jesus. Yeah, they heard the Word of God, but they weren't equipped for success like the way he equips people for success. That's weird.
9: Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all were in churches like that. And it's great, but how do I work this out? Like, how do I apply this? So so, so I, I'm going to be very transparent with you to tell you, growing up, I did not just feel
8: loved. I didn't feel like I was the apple of my parents' eye, but yet God says you are the apple of my eye, Keith.
9: Why is it important that you be a part of the family of God and attempt to be around people, even though none of us are healthy as we should be, that are at least striving to be as healthy as we can be? All right? So, so nobody's perfect here. Nobody's better than you. We're all in this, in this family, and we're all striving to make it. But, 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 so, so I had nothing to do with the parents.
0: We're all striving to make it? What, what does that mean?
9: I had Just like you had nothing to do with the parents that you had.
8: And and honestly, I'm not sure if my parents would have picked me. They made it clear that I was an accident. But the truth is, you can think that about your parents, but your parents may not have picked you either. And some of you know the hell you
9: put your parents through. So they would go, absolutely, I wouldn't pick you. But guess what? God picked you and he picked them. As dysfunctional as for some of you that may seem, whether you knew your dad, whether your dad was who he was supposed to be, whatever it is, here's the bottom line. and Here's what I want you to understand. God chose you to be a part of his family. God chose you to be a part of his family and he wants you to understand the love of, that he has for you as his father. I can tell you this. My parents blessed their hearts and I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you the way it is. My parents
8: did not know how to love me. I was an athlete. They didn't come to one game. When I went to college on a
9: a college basketball scholarship, I had to explain to my parents what that meant. I sat at the table. They kept seeing these articles in the newspaper. They go, you're in the newspaper all the time. I go, yeah, I know. I'm an athlete. Mom. I play basketball and I'm pretty good. Wow. That's, yeah. You're in there like all the time. It's amazing. So be sitting at the supper table. So anyway, I had coaches start calling my house, wanting me to come to do a visit. My dad would be on the phone and go, well, yeah, he'll come. I go, no, no, dad, dad listen, this isn't the way it works. I said, let me handle that. My dad didn't go to college and was not an athlete. So I had 256 offers. And so my dad's just going, yeah, he'll come. He'll come. I go, no, no, I'm I'm, not going to be coming. No, I won't be coming. So when I told them that I was getting a scholarship, they said, what does that mean? I said, what it means is I'm going to go to a school of my choice, and they're going to pay for all my school. And my parents looked at each other and said, they do
8: that?
0: I guess we're done with God's word at this point. We're just going to get life stories of Keith Craft.
9: It's the home I grew up in.
0: be important to note this, that uh, Christian disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, the stories they are fed and meditate on and learn are the stories written in Scripture, especially the ones about Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, We're hearing a lot about Keith Craft. A lot. Way, way too much.
9: They just weren't aware. They were head down, butt up. My dad was a cop. He was working three different jobs. My mom was working. They were trying to make ends meet. We lived in South Dallas. Our house cost $19,000 and their monthly house payment was $75 a month. That's how I grew up. I don't know how you grew up. They weren't walking around trying to make me feel special. They were walking around trying to make it. Shopping at Gibson's. Some of y'all don't even know what Gibson's is. (laughs) Gibson's was before Walmart. You remember Gibson's $4 shoes? I mean, I'm just telling you. They didn't have these. They didn't have those. And I didn't have those either until Jeremy gave them to me. Jeremy, those are the dap. Anyway, so, so here's my point. Listen very carefully. I don't know how you grew up. Maybe you grew up like Mitch. Mitch, uh, his parents were, I mean, every time I hear Mitch talk about his parents, I think, is that really real? Because they were so loving, they were so wonderful. I think, man, Mitch, that puts a big responsibility on you with your kids and your grandkids that are coming and all of that because his parents were so great. And it's not that our parents weren't great. Listen to me. It's just we had no choice. And they probably weren't thinking like you, like my parents weren't thinking like me. How can I make little Keith feel loved? Let me tell you something. When I had children, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because I didn't have it. I was thinking, what is the key to my children's heart? How can I make Josh feel loved? How can I make Keela feel loved? How can I make Whitney feel loved? It was in my heart. Why? Not because I had an issue with what my parents weren't, but because your family of origin, listen, is supposed to teach you how not to be and how to be without issues based on what they weren't. And part of how you reconcile being born into a family of origin that was dysfunctional or unfair or abusive or or broken is to know this, that you have the power to choose how that's going to affect you. You're not a victim. You can't blame. So here's what you do. I'm going to learn how to be a better mom. I'm going to learn how to be a better wife. I'm going to learn how to be a better dad. I'm going to learn how to be a better husband. And that's what I decided. And that's the power that we have because we have been chosen to choose. And God wants you to experience his love as your father.
0: Now it's true that God wants you to experience his love as, as your father. This is true. But all this other stuff that we're getting regarding the life of Keith Craft, this does not actually qualify as literally teaching us anything about holiness or God's will for our lives or what it means to bear fruit in keeping with repentance or anything like that.
9: Ephesians goes on to say this, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds. Some of y'all ought to go praise the Lord. And not just barely free
0: either, abundantly free. He thought of everything. All right, so we're hearing something of the gospel here. Note that. Provided
9: for everything we, p- we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans that he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. You see, because God has chosen us to be a part of His family, listen to this. He doesn't just want us to experience His love, but He wants us to experience the freedom that comes with being a family member. The freedom. The freedom to be everything He's created you to be.
0: Um, What does that mean? I mean, be all that you can be was a slogan used by the army trying to recruit people. The freedom to choose how things
9: are going to affect you. I'm writing a book right now called "Mamma's Tenets for Life. My Mama, she was my hero. And one of the things that she taught me was that you cannot dictate everything that happens out here, but you can dictate what happens in here. And if you'll learn that, that you can control how that's going to affect you, Keith, then you'll never be subject to what people say, what they believe about you. And guess what? I've lived knowing that, even though it's hard sometimes. That no matter what you think about me, it's not important what you think as much as it is what God thinks. It's not important what you say, it's important what God says. Because I'm a part of his family. (laughs) Ephesians 1 goes on to say this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Let me read that one.
8: What?
0: All right, so the uh, the message paraphrase, Ephesians uh, 1, 11, and 12. Let's take a look at Ephesians one eleven and 12 in a good translation and see if we can make sense of it. Um, 11 and 12, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Yeah, that's what a good translation says, and what he says, he's reading from the message, it's in Christ that we find who we are and what we're living for. What well, I, yeah, wow. He, he's making it look like he's doing biblical preaching, but he ain't.
9: time. It's in Christ, not in your family. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Had designs for us on his for glorious
0: living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out. He had designs on us for glorious living. That's not what Ephesians 1 says.
9: Everyone. So God, listen, we're chosen to choose. God chose you to be a part of his family. The second thing in your notes is that God wants you to choose your family of choice. What? (laughs) How does that follow? Now, when I talk about family of choice, I'm telling you, buddy, this has been the biggest disconnect, even with people that you know, that we know. It's like family of choice. Like, what does that mean? I mean, like your family... Is that, that, that's the most important people. No, your family of choice is the most important people. So let me ask you a question. Let me poll the audience. How many of you have brothers and sisters that you spend less time with them and you do more life with a friend or some friends that you have? That's called family of choice.
0: That means your brothers and sisters aren't important. What does Ephesians 1 have to do with family of choice? What are you doing?
9: It just means who you choose to do life with in your blood,
8: except by his
9: blood. So, so how many of you have got a best friend that you're closer to than you are a brother or a sister, or even your mother or your dad? That's family of choice. In 18 years, this has been, buddy, one of the things that just people haven't understood. What are you saying, Keith, that family of choice is more important than family of origin? No, what I'm saying is your choice about who you do family with is more important than anything.
0: It's- uh, how, how could it be right? I don't even understand what he's saying. What he's saying isn't actually a lucid thought. That's what makes this church different. Okay, different church. See, yeah, see what makes Elevate Life Church and the Cathedral of Frisco different. Which is scary because Scripture is clear. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and that it's the faith once delivered to the saints. But they're different. That's not a good thing.
9: In most churches, because we have a revelation of this, that this is a bigger family.
0: Uh, See, they have a special revelation of a bigger family, the family of choice. Other, Other churches just aren't in on this new revelation. Yeah, that's dangerous.
9: When I win, you win. When you win, I win. When you suffer, I suffer. In other words, we choose to be a family that's doing life together. That's family of choice. Now watch this. They're gonna put it on the screen. Our family of origin gives us our first life lessons by default or by design that we spend the rest of our lives either building upon or trying to overcome. Next. Our family of origin is the family we were born into. Our family of choice is the people we choose to do life with.
0: Yeah, and you're going to note something here. The, what's on the screen and right behind him is the fact that this is a quote from Keith Craft's book, Leadershipology, which none of the things he's saying have anything remotely to do With Ephesians chapter 1.
9: We do not choose our family of origin, but we can choose our family of choice to do life. We want to choose to do life with the people that we want to do life with. Now, listen to this our family of origin is our practice to teach us how we want to be or don't want to be, how to act or not to act. And it helps us to understand what we want and what we don't want in our lives. So everybody gets that, right? If you get that, say, I got that. So in other words, any negatives that were in my parents, I don't look at that negatively. I just look at that as I
8: learn from it. My dad was not intimate. I'm intimate. Well, the reason I'm intimate is because my dad wasn't intimate. In other words, he was... He he, he he couldn't hardly say I love you. You see, those are the lessons that we choose to learn
9: by design rather than by default. Some people, they, they grow up in these families and they let the the stuff that are in the uncontrollables affect what they can control. You can't control who your mom and dad were. You can't control the decisions that they made. You can't control who your brother and your sister are. But you can control the drama that's in their life and how that affects you.
0: That's why I like to say. I, again, I have no idea what he's talking about. This, this is just the ramblings of a man who somehow thinks that what he just read in the message paraphrase of Ephesians 1 has something to do with what he's saying. I, I, I don't see the connection at all. Your
9: mama's drama is not your drama. Don't let your mama's drama be your drama. Your kid's drama is not your drama. The fact is, your life is your life. Now, how many of y'all are married? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. All right, now listen. Let me ask you
8: this question. McKinney, let me ask you the question. Is the person you're married to a family member? I hope not. But if they are,
9: we love you. God bless you. I hope it works. But I'm glad I did not marry my sister. And guess what family of choice is? the person I choose to become one with. It's a natural supernatural correlation. Guess who my family is? The people I choose to do life with. I gave you the stats that was the most exhaustive family research in the history of the world. And they asked the question, what is
8: family? 22% said it's blood relatives. Six percent said it's people who live under the same roof. Seventy-four percent
9: said this. They said it's people who care about you and that you care about.
0: That's your family. That's what makes that. that, That's an applause line. Why? What does any of this have to do with what Scripture teaches?
9: Because we really do care about you. We really do care about your family. We care about you getting plugged into small groups. We care about you coming to a men's conference. We care about you coming to She Time. We care about you being involved in a missions outreach. Why? Because we're going to give over $100,000 away to missions because of a golf game today. Because we care about people besides ourselves, And we're going to go have fun doing it. So that's what makes a church family so important is that that you choose, this is the family that I wanna choose to grow through life with. So what is family of choice? And it's, it's in your notes, so follow along with me. It's gonna be on the screens. Family of choice is people who value what you value. So when you find somebody that values what you value, that's why I sit down with Sheila when we were 15. When we were 15 and I drew the triangle and I said, this is you, this is me, this is God. I believe, and I drew two arrows. If you'll be your best for God and I'll be my best for God, I believe if God wants us together and then I drew an arrow between her and I's name, then whatever, if, as long as we decide to be together, I think we can have a great relationship. She's just looking at me. It was my first leadership seminar in 1975. <laughs> and I said, do you agree with this? And she goes, yes, I agree with it. And so I said, well, let me tell you some other things that are important to me. She goes, Okay. I said, the Bible says, when you get angry, don't sin. Here's what that means. Don't get sin stay mad and practice holding things and become bitter. It says, when you get angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I said, so let's make a commitment to each other as long as we're gonna be together and date that we don't practice divorce. She says, what do you mean? I go, walk away from each other mad and hold stuff against each other. Let's try to work it out in the same day. The Bible gives you a 24-hour workout period. Don't let the sun go down on this. She said, okay. We're still working on that. <laughs> Thank you.
8: Thank you for that. Thank you for still working on that with me. Many of you know I told her, I said, on the 20th of every month,
9: if you say yes, I'm going to honor you because honor is important to me. And I'm going to honor your yes. Er- on the 20th, every month, as long as we're together, she's looked at me and smiled and goes, okay. This month, it was 511 months on the 20th that I've honored her because that's important to me.
0: So here's... Yeah, good, good on you, I guess. I'm
9: telling you, listen very carefully. I can't tell you what's important to you. But you need to get real clear. That's what we try to do through our masterminds and through me helping coaching people to try to help them really clarify and identify what's important to them so that they can live a life that most matters and they can align their life, their business, their finances and everything with what matters most to them and not just live a life of hit and miss or by default rather than by design. So I share this with you because here's what I want you to understand. Your family of choice is people who value the same things that you value. There are people that served you in the parking lot today because they value you being here. There are people who are serving in your children for your children. take care of your children while you 're in here. Why Because we value you in this family. We want you to have a great experience. There are people behind stage. There are people up in this sound booth. There are people in production studios that that, that are all over this place that are serving in different capacities. Why Because as a family, we want to make sure your needs are taken care of. You see, this is a family where we have values. I'm writing a book right now also called The Big Five, and that's the five core values. My kids talked about it last week, the five core values that are important in our family, and they are honor, positive attitude, excellence, leadership, and generosity. And I raised them talking about these things and being very intentional
0: about these things. Those are the same things that are important in our church. Did you raise them intentionally in an in-depth understanding of God's word?
9: And let me just tell you why. Because everything starts with honor. I don't know about you, but I always haven't felt honored. I sure didn't feel honored in my family of origin. I don't know about you, I'm sure you did, Rod. They just honored you. Rod, you're special. You're amazing. No, the truth is, most of us weren't raised with honor being an important value in our home. And we live in a world that's opposite of honor, it's dishonor. Just turn on the news, just read the news because people don't understand. Watch, this is the pattern. Honor, everything rises and falls on honor. Everything. And when you honor, it it, it creates positive energy, as, as John Gordon says. It creates a positive energy around you, but watch this, you become a positive person. And when you give honor to people, when you honor God and you honor other people, and that's what we do by serving,
8: we love people and serve people because we care. So, so when you honor people, you create a
9: positive, if I can say this, ethos or atmosphere around you because you're an honor.
0: Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about the, the honor thing for the purpose of creating a, an ethos or an atmosphere. What is going on in this sermon? I'm just like getting agitated now. Person. You honor
9: your boss. You don't talk behind your boss's back. To do that would be dishonor. Because see, here's what honor does. Honor leads to positivity, and being positive leads to a blessed life. Somebody put an amen.
0: Blessed life via obedience, via honor. Got it.
9: So let me show you the opposite. When you're a dishonoring person, you'll be negative. And when you're negative, you bring a curse on your life.
0: God doesn't... So, So being negative brings a curse on your life. Biblical text that says that, please you bring a curse on your life because you're negative
9: because whatever you say is what you see some people never figure this out
0: yeah because it's probably not taught anywhere in scripture i guess they never figure it out because you're the guy who figured it out because you apparently concocted this in your head because
9: they're not in a family like this and they don't hear the truth. And the truth, it's only the truth you know that can set you free. You can hear. Th-
0: yeah, no, Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he is the truth. You just changed Jesus' words there into something different than what he actually said.
9: Truth, or you can reach up and say, God, that's mine. I take it. I'm going to apply it to my life. And my life is going to be honorable. It's going to be positive, And it's going to be blessed because that's your plan for my life.
0: Uh- saying
9: that doesn't just happen by being passive you have to be passionate and you have to be intentional to know what matters most
0: to you yeah not what matters most but subjectively what matters most to you got it
9: welcome to elevate life family of choice (laughs) dylan mccullough
8: was a boy who nobody wanted. In fact, on December 1st, 1972, he was born on a cold day in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
0: His story is not recorded in scripture. Just want to make that clear. 16-year-old
8: by the name of Carol Biggs. Carol was the sweetest thing. She had a boyfriend. His name was Sherman
9: Smith and You know, they're just messing around, they're playing around. Stuff happened, she got pregnant. I want you to listen to the dignity of this story.
8: Everybody say dignity.
0: Uh, Stuff happened and she got pregnant. Okay.
8: When Carol told her mother, both of them
9: decided let's don't tell Sherman. He's going off to college. It's isn't about taking responsibility, baby. You made this decision.
8: Why don't you listen to the dignity of this story? What about blame? Long story short, six weeks later,
9: a lady by the name of Adele who wanted to adopt a baby
8: walked into an orphanage that's what it was called then, but it was basically an adoption center. And she took one look
9: at Deland and started crying and saying, that's my baby. She brought Deland home and began to raise him with a brother named Damon. They grew up in high school. They became athletes. He was a star athlete in Youngstown, Ohio. And one day... A red Mercedes rolled up on his senior year as he was sitting in English class and he looked out the window. and He thought, what a cool car. And a very handsome man, tall man got out of the car and it was about 10 minutes later that he got a summons from the principal's office that said, somebody wants to talk to you. Dylan McCullough went to the principal's office that day and his life would change forever because that day, a man by the name of...
8: Sherman Smith said, hey, I'm a coach at Miami University and I want you to come play for me. And then he looked at him and he said this, you may not be looking for a father, but if you come play for
9: me, I'll treat you like a son. That's all Dylan needed to hear. He signed with Miami University and became a star. In fact, set school records that
8: still today hold. Sherman Smith was his coach all through high school. and He went on to college.
9: I'm sorry, he went on to the pros, played for the Cincinnati Bengals until he blew his knee out. And then after college, he went to work in a rehab facility because he needed rehab and he ended up working there and he met his wife and they started living this life and had a, had a baby and then had two babies, then had three babies and he kept hearing this question in the hospital: "So, who are the grandparents, and what family are you from, and where's the birth certificate?" He had, he had no birth certificate, and his wife would talk all about her family. And finally, their fourth son was born. and In 2017, 44 year old Dylan McCullough told his wife, "I, I gotta go find my, I gotta go find my birth parents."
8: Having these boys makes me want to know who I am and where I'm from. And the journey began.
9: And just for the next few minutes, I want to direct your attention to the screens because I want you to hear this amazing story of family of choice. What's this.
0: Yeah, maybe, I, maybe we're done with God's word now, but uh, we're going to hear about Dylan's story on video. Okay. I sent her a Facebook message. So the video shows a, a message sent to a woman and asking if she had a son in 1972 in Allegheny County, and uh, and uh, you know that you put up for adoption. She said yes. What did you name the baby? He asks. John. She says. And he says, Wow. Can I call you in a few hours? I'm at work. And then she answers, Yes.
2: Hello, and we go through, you know, the preliminary hellos, but then the conversation picks right up. You know, we uh, we just start talking.
4: It's like I've known her all my life. It's just like
6: it's a great conversation. You know, within a minute of being on the phone, I said, obviously, I'm John. <laughs> you know, and then at some
2: point I asked her, well, where are you? And she said, Youngstown, that will be back. Turns out that he was probably less than 10 minutes away from for the first 10 years of his life.
6: I do remember asking, how'd you up
2: in Pennsylvania? Well, I explained to him, you know, that he and his father were not, we weren't the love story that he might have been hoping for. You know, we were young. We were young. young. I was 16, he was 18. How did you tell the father of the baby about his son? Um, I didn't tell anybody anything. Uh, I didn't tell anyone anything. My mom found out I was pregnant. It was handled a little differently back then. And less than a week, I was gone. She sent me to this place in Pittsburgh, and I didn't come home until the day after Demon was born. What were your emotions when he was born? Um, I remember the first time they brought him to me after he was born. I laid him on the bed and took all those clothes off because, in my mind, that was probably going to be the last time I ever saw him. (laughs) Even though at that time I knew that I was going to place him for adoption, I said, he still needs to have a name. Yeah, I can just put him out in the world as nobody. So I came up with John Kenneth, and that's the name that I put on his birth certificate.
6: You know, she explained that to me. I said, well, shoot. I got any brothers and sisters because you know, I'm like, I mean youngster, I could, if she had other kids, I not know, I might know him. She said, No, I never had any other children. She said, I never got
2: married. I said, um, well shoot, who's my dad? At that point, I was confident in the knowledge, this really is my son. So he asked, Yeah, I gotta tell him. There were probably only three people that I had ever said his father's name to in the context of my having a baby. I guess I got pretty emotional at that point. And um, it was important for him to know, it was important for him to know who his dad was. (laughs) father's name is Sherman Smith. Uh,
0: the guy who was the coach, who was the father to him.
6: Your dad is a man named Sherman Smith. And when
2: she said that, I mean, it was, I almost fell off the almost like passed out. and passed uh, And I could kind of hear him choke up a little. And he says, Well, I've known Sherman my whole life. I, it's like I
6: couldn't even hear anything she was saying. I'm still processing your dad, is, is a guy by the name of Sherman Smith. I knew exactly who, what. I'm like, this is unbelievable
0: to me, you know? So then in the morning, I, I think I texted
1: Carol and I said, Can I tell my dad? And she said, Yeah, you go ahead and tell him. So I texted her.
0: And so he sends him a text. Coach, I need to talk to you. It's important. Yeah, well, you know this is a sentimental story. I mean, kind of amazing in, on its face, but this is not discipling anybody in what Scripture actually teaches.
6: He started the conversation off and said, uh, you know, that I'm adopted." and I said, yeah, and he said, you know, I've started the process, you know, wanted to find my adult, my biological parents. Okay, man, that's great, and, you know, and hey, I, you know, i got my, my birth certificate. Day. Hey, man, I'm hey, that's great news to hear, man. And, yeah, my biological mom from Youngstown, hey, man, is that really? So I'm going to be excited for him, you know. This story's building up. I'm a
1: biological mom. And then he, said, uh, he told me his biological mom's name, and it's like, oh. Okay. <laughs> he, said, uh, he
6: didn't hesitate too much before
9: that song, he said. And I asked for who my biological father was, and she said, You. Yeah, and oh. <laughs> so, as Paul. Yay. We would say, Let me tell you the rest of the story. Sherman Smith recruited him at a high school, like I said. He was his college coach for four years. First thing Sherman Smith told him when he was recruiting him was again, I already said this, but I'll say it again. You may not be looking for a father, but if you play for me, I'm going to treat you like a son. After he played four years for Sherman Smith, they had this very unique relationship. And to make a long, long story short, everywhere Sherman Smith went to coach, he'd contact Dylan McCullough. Neil McCullough went on to be the running backs coach for Indiana State Univ- Indiana University. He was the running backs coach for
8: USC. And on July 6, 2018, just a few days ago this summer, he went to his coach's house who had been in relationship for 28 years
9: who had now, before he took the job to be the Kansas City Chiefs running backs coach, Sherman Smith said, he, was, he coached for 22 years in the NFL. He said, I want you to come coach with me in Seattle. And that's what got him the job as a Kansas City Chief coach.
8: His dealer walked up now to what looked like was his birth father's doorstep with the DNA test in hand. His father opened the
9: door Looked at the test, and he said, My son. Dylan said that was the first time I'd ever heard that in my life. My son.
8: My son.
9: <laughs> There's so much to this story.
0: There was a mother, of Carol. B- you know, it, it's not nearly as exciting as the story of, like, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and God the Father from heaven. Upon his baptism, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased.
9: Kids at 16 that made a very tough decision not to have an abortion to make the problem go away, but to give a boy up for an adoption. There's a woman named Adele that decided I so want a baby boy. And she adopted him. She chose him.
0: Yeah. What about the Virgin Mary who wasn't even looking
8: <laughs>
0: to have a child and. God the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and he was born so that we can live. You see the difference here?
8: Yeah, we continue. There was a man by the name of Sherman Smith who
9: recruited him as an athlete in college and said, you may not be looking for a father, but if you play for me,
8: I'm going to treat you like a son. And back and forth and back and forth, this orphan was chosen
9: chosen, chosen, and now he's chosen to have four sons of his own. And now his oldest son is playing for Miami university where he played (laughs) running back.
0: So uh, apparently what really makes you important is that you are a successful athlete or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay.
9: Here's what I want to tell you. I don't know how you walked in here today, what you walked in carrying, what your past is. But God says, you're chosen. I've chosen you. I want you to know my love. I want you to know my blessing. I want you to know my freedom. But now I want you to choose.
0: I want you to choose me back as God. I want you to choose. Where does God say, I want you to choose me back as God? Choose your family. Cue sappy music, by the way. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, getting them to make decisions of one kind or another.
9: And for the rest of your life, decide you're not going to live with orphan issues. You're not-
0: I, I, I'm not going to live with orphan issues. I had no idea I was living with those.
9: I'm not going to live with dysfunctional issues. You're not going to live with victim issues or pitiful issues because of what your dad did or didn't do, what your mom There were some tough decisions that were made all along the way. And it wasn't easy. But let me tell you about how awesome our God is. He's so awesome that He orders our steps. And even when we don't even know our steps are ordered, even when we don't even know who we are, even though we don't even know who our family is like Dylan McCullough didn't know, for 28 years, God aligned him with the man who is his biological father, Father, and today they'll spend the rest of their life on earth celebrating that.
0: Yeah, but are they penitent sinners who believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, so they'll spend eternal life together? You see what I'm saying here? Before
9: I pray for you, let me say one thing about this family. We've had some house rules in this family. I don't know how it was in your house, but I decided when I started this church, and many thousands of people now have come along, and we are family to have rules. And I just want you to know what the rules are. Here they are. In this house, we do second chances.
0: Um, yeah, the gospel is not that God gives us second chances. We'd blow that.
9: And by the way, third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances.
0: Yeah, you'd blow all of your chances, even if you had a bazillion of them.
9: In this house, we do grace.
0: What does that mean to do grace?
9: We do grace. In this house, we do real.
0: Oh, they do You might can handle it
9: sometimes, you might not, but we do real here. Yeah. In this house, we do mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Just cuz
0: <laughs> we <do. laughs> so these are their family rules there at uh, Elevate Life Church.
9: Made a mistake doesn't get you kicked out of this family. In this house we do I'm sorry. In this house we do loud really well. In this house we do hugs. In this house we do family. In this house we do love. And here's what I want you to know. There ain't nobody perfect here. No, not one. But our values.
0: Are you forgiven by Christ, though? I mean, this, your house rules read more like a Hallmark greeting card.
9: Our love, our serving, we have a chance to have a great, great family. And to be a part of God's family on the earth, that like we originally read in this message in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, that we are God's chosen, now we can choose, and guess what? We will become examples of what the world needs for what honor looks like, positive energy looks like.
0: Yeah, what the world needs is to be reconciled to God through the shed blood of Christ.
9: And blessing looks like, and I prophesy that over you in the name of Jesus.
0: Oh boy, he says he's a prophet, wow in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Done. Wow. Yeah, that was a um, uh, third-rate train wreck. Yeah, I've seen better train wrecks than that, but uh, wow. Talk about adventures and missing the point and not doing your biblical duty to actually preach the word. Unbelievable. And what gets lost in the mix... Yeah, a real proclamation of the gospel, a real call to people to repent and to be forgiven and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, you know, stuff like that. That's all by the wayside. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so... My email address is at TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.